What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Deer Vein Podcast, and this episode is specifically part of the Whitetail Series segment within my podcast. The Whitetail Series is 27 episodes in total, nine based around the early season, nine based around the pre-rut and rut, and nine based around the late season. So if you're having problems in one of those sections of the seasons, just sit down, binge these episodes. You'll get a lot of tips, a lot of tactics, a lot of strategies, You know, different types of places and areas to hunt and different types to try public land and private land, and you just get a lot of information and hopefully a lot of entertainment. I have guests on here from the Midwest, the East, and the South, so you're gonna it's going to likely retain relevancy for everybody. And then also these podcasts are going to be airing two to four weeks in advance of that section of the season so that you should be able to use the tactics that you listen to this year in your season this fall. So I hope it's a huge value to you guys. I really wanted to do it for myself, and I thought this would be a great share for everybody else. I also have a couple partners with this one, Onyx Hunt and Arrow Hunter Saddles. A couple great companies helping me advertise and push this out to everybody and just hopefully make everybody a better hunter and more successful this fall. Onyx Hunt, if you don't know, is a GPS mapping app where you get satellite maps, uh, topo maps, hybrid maps. It shows public and private land boundaries, which is a big reason that I got it. But uh, you can add waypoints, trails, all that kind of stuff as well. But the biggest reason I got it is because it works offline. A lot of the places I hunt don't have data, don't have service. So I can cache all those maps on my phone, walk around, and I still have all my waypoints. I can still use my GPS. And then as far as Arrow Hunter saddles go, like for me, Arrow Hunter saddles makes the most comfortable saddle, the Kestrel Flex. The Merlin just came out. Um, and if you're getting into saddle hunting or you want to try it, I really encourage you to take a look at them. Like I, like I said, I tried a few different saddles on. And the Kestrel Flex just fit me the best and was the most comfortable. And um, I, I, I really like them and most adjustable. Also, they're 100% made in the USA, which is a phenomenal piece. Um, I'm a big USA supporter. And if I can get keep all those jobs here in the US, I will for sure. So uh, go check those guys out if you're looking into saddles. Also use the code DVAIN10, that's the letter D and then VAIN, then the number's one zero at checkout and you'll get 10% off a saddle. All right. Without further ado, let's hop into the podcast. Uh, this week, we got Matt Spetz from Deer Nerd on, and we are talking early season strategies. So, Matt, um, why don't you tell people what Deer Nerd are, Deer Nerd is, and where you're located, and like kind of generally about your hunting. Are you hunting public, private? Like, what's up in your hunting life? Yeah. Hey, man. Nice to talk to you again. Um, yeah, you know, so Deer Nerd's my side business. It's consulting, basically helping people kill the, you know, their best buck of their lives. And sometimes that looks like uh, prepping their own properties for them, uh, creating hunt plans that get, get them in position, really bow range is the goal of uh, the oldest buck on the property or in the area. Uh, sometimes it looks like finding a, an investment property for someone who says, you know, I really want a, a chance at a booner in the next five years and they want to buy a property. So I'll go do that research for them, make some recommendations. Sometimes it's consulting in the season for some uh, cherished and longtime close clients where, <laughs> you know, just, you know, they're feeding me data on their location and I'm, I'm saying, hey, remember, you know, go to stand A3 and here's how you get there and here's when you set it. So I've stuff almost like that, you into you know, a a little bit of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it, you know, it'll work out. I love helping, man. It'll work. It'll work out eventually. Yeah. I thought you had that big one pinned down on your own though, from, from the way it looked. So 
Dude, he was, yeah. yeah, he was there. We don't need to talk about him, though. We can keep going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so based out of Wisconsin, I'm really all okay. over the state, but I make my home now in Wassa area, Weston. So it's a nice central location to do a lot of work on the west side of the state. Actually, some up north, almost near the UP of Michigan now. Deer are coming back a little bit there. Uh, and do some work down south. So this kind of puts me there and, and the day job really brought me here and, and we don't need to get down that rabbit hole right now. Um, <laughs> had a very rewarding career in public education. Uh, you know, that Which is stuff chaos right now. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. It's fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, so when I hunt, I do the best I can to scrape every, every chance I get to hunt. And it's a blend of private, public. It's trended a little bit more towards private the last handful of years because of just some really good friends that I've been able to hunt with and have been um, generous, you know, and bringing me on board in different places. And that appeals to me because I love hunting new property every hunt if I can, you know, sure. so it means more to me to, to go hunt somewhere for a weekend. I've never sat, um, never seen in person, just do some online scouting and just know the possibilities in that county or region and then just go go hunt it and it just ironically or I should say for whatever reason you know it's been a lot of private lately um, but I actually love hunting public land in fact I'll do that even uh, areas where I have a lease so often I will pick a lease if say if I'm going to northern Missouri I will try to find a lease that's actually near a piece of public that I know and understand so I can go between the properties and never burn one out so I, I prefer to hunt public if possible. Um, so I just kind of take, I, I go where the, I guess the mature bucks take me. So no preference. <laughs> sure. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so that gives everyone a little bit of context around Matt and where he's at and what he's doing. Um, I do think, you know, one of the things I was thinking about this year, just in general, is even though I have 110 acres of my family's property that I can hunt, that's private, and I'm pretty much the only one who hunts it, and I have uh, the access to tell people yes or no if they can hunt it. Um, one of the things I've really been questioning about myself is I think there's bigger bucks on the neighboring public or the public near my house than there is on my private this year. So it makes me wonder, like, should I have put more effort into the public? Um, because there are great big bucks there, for sure. It's a dirty, nasty swamp. But at the same time, you're also fighting other hunters, fighting a lot of pressure. Pressure moves deer to certain areas. Um, if you don't know them, you might not be successful. There's a lot of things that go into that. So I've, I've never had the opportunity to hunt private multiple years in a row that I have control over it's always been kind of on a friend's property or, you know, I'm always a guest. So you always feel like when you're a guest, you know, the feeling like it's not yours. Like you don't get to go out and like do everything that you want to do. Cause it's really not your property. When you lease it and you pay money, then you feel like you're able to do that kind of thing. And even then some landowners are like, oh, I don't want you doing this. I don't want you doing that. Like, you know, um, mm -hmm. So now I'm really getting into that, like, hmm, maybe I should have put a little bit more effort into the public as well, rather than only on the private. But, you know, the next few years will play out and we'll see how it shakes. But, um, but anyway, we're on here to talk about early season. So we were talking a little bit before, before we started and you had just, you've just moved into that central Wisconsin area and now you got a whole new batch of public land to hunt that's you know 10 15 minutes away that that you didn't have before 
So you're looking at that. You got there in July or August and you're going, man, where do I even begin? And I feel like this is extremely relatable to a lot of people because all of a sudden August rolls around. They're like, oh my God, I got to tune my bow <laughs> or, oh my God, I got to figure out where the hell I'm going to hunt this year. Or I want to just get into hunting and fall's coming around. I guess, you know, hunting opens at this time. Where do I begin? So with you, let's just, let's start with hunting that public that you don't even know um, anything about. Where do you start scouting? How do you start scouting? What do you do? Go. <laughs> yeah. So, so the, the cool thing is, is like, I'm in a similar situation than I was going into like six seasons ago where I'd also made a move in Wisconsin and how I started in that community. And that was a little over by, I guess, uh, new Auburn. So if you're listening, you know where that is over to the West side, the state, but still in the North a little bit, um, kind of along highway eight corridor, if you will, you know, so it was over there, uh, again, for a job change and, I started by, at that time, I drove around, right? It's a lot of flat, really flat ground, farms, swamps, farms, swamps, a little bit of timber, you know? And I just, I just kept driving around all over my general neighborhood, I'd say within 20 minutes of, of where we were living at the time. And um, ironically, what happened there, and I got, I got lucky, so there's always luck involved in hunting, right? Almost, almost always, because we can't control every variable. Um, you know, I try to control as many as I can and, and do that well. And I do that well for people, but you still need a little luck. But what happened yeah. that season is, is, is I somehow caught, um, I think I was in a side by side on a side by side ride with my wife and probably our daughter at the time. She's a little kid, little baby. And we were, I was glassing and we were driving around cause a very rural, like a lot of dirt roads, you know, so you could drive wherever. And we were about four miles from the house and looking, overlooking some public land over there. And we just happened to catch three decent bucks working together in July. In fact, it was the, I think it was right around my birthday. It was end of July because I got it all written down. I think it was a certain day. It must have been exactly that day. Anyway, we caught three bucks. And, and what I really did was I just started blowing up the whole area. And my, my thought was, you know, where are those deer going to be when there's pressure? So I had a place to bull hunt that was di different than all that public. And I knew I didn't want to gun hunt that public that year per se, you know, take rifles over there, didn't know anybody. There's just enough people running around where, I don't know, it's not my thing. So um, what ended up happening is, uh, I guess to cut to the chase, is there were two macro funnels. One went north little bit to the west, a little bit northwest macro funnel. And one basically went like southwest. It was kind of really a creek that kind of had a, a big bend, you know, a couple miles long where it, it twisted, if you will. Um, and that was really the only funnel that would uh, take a deer from say season to season, right? From where it's summering to where it's probably going to end up in the, in the pre-rut rut probably where it's going to winter and then back in the spring and in the summer, if they have cycles in that general area, which those deer did. Um, I knew enough to know that. And I, you know, and talked to enough people to understand how the deer move. Well, along the, the, the two funnels, one, the one to the North, I never, I didn't have access anywhere there, nor would I get it. Right. So I just knew that was out. So I was able to eliminate all of that information. So I literally cut in half, 
it just one in, in one swoop, like the possibilities. So then I focused on that, that south west, if you will, kind of macro funnel on that creek. You know, and there were a couple spots where there would be some access there. Um, knocked on some doors. Uh, there actually was some public land, a little piece. And then there was some land that was public, but not public. I don't know if you ever ran into <laughs> that. And I'm sure some of your listeners have where it's like, well, hey, this land's owned by a big company. They, they want you to hunt it, but they're never going to tell, say they gave you permission kind of a deal. I don't know yeah. if that's a new thing, but that's out there. No, that, you know, no, I've, I've definitely run people. into that. Yeah, yeah I've definitely yeah. run into that before. Well, there's there's some those. yeah businesses around here that are the same way. Yeah, so there's one of those deals where, where it just so happened that one of the 40s um, really held some really nice tight cover in that funnel. And it was one of those deals where it's kind of public but not public situations. So um, I went in there one time, I think early fall, just kind of checked it out. I knew it'd be somewhere to go back to. Never really thought about it too much until Thanksgiving day. I actually went in there. Uh, it was two, two degrees and my, my old man was down from Michigan and we were doing a rifle hunt and we kind of went over there and did a little, little kind of a two man push. I ended up shooting in pretty decent 10 point buck. It was one of those ones I filmed all the way back in July. Now it moved three miles from July 29th to Thanksgiving day. It moved three miles south to the, and a little bit to the west. Hmm. Um, that was luck though, absolute luck. It was just that enough rifle pressure around that deer happened to be moving that general macro direction. And somehow I, I ran into him. I didn't even know it was the same deer because I shot him walking, kind of threw some stuff right on a still hunt. And then by, eventually I looked back and I'm like, oh, I filmed him. Had a little kicker. That's how I knew it was the same, yeah. you know, the same bucks. Um, so that was a really cool experience. Um, that was the approach really was getting eyes out there, covering ground, but then eliminating some possibilities. Oh, one okay. possibility I didn't mention was the public where I saw that de those deer, the three in July, was basically uh, landlocked by a water. So really where they were, <coughs> where they were was inaccessible without some kind of a, a canoe or something anyway, but we could, you could see about a quarter mile onto some dry ground, really awkward place to hunt. I'm sure it holds deer all year long, but one of those situations where you're going to bust them either way, it wasn't uh, one of those really cool backdoor float accesses, which are, can be very productive. This wouldn't have been like that. Uh, so that was eliminated also. So that's why I never even went in the, to that public and archery hunted it, quite frankly. Hmm. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, oh, you're fine. So, uh, I mean, there's a, there's a few different things that I want to break down on that. The first one is dry, like drive scouting. So um, <coughs> generally in the summer, like, it, I mean, you see it all over Instagram and the social media right now, just people with out with their scopes, out with their, you know, um, God, I can't even think of the name of it right now. They're, it's the big, what am I talking Spotting Spot. scope. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's the big tube like binocular. <laughs> um, yeah. You're out there with your spotting scope looking looking through bean fields checking out deer and really that's that's what everybody's looking at right they're kind of hiding in the corn looking in, in bean fields um mm -hmm. and I, I, I like that approach i do that often too my wife and i'll go for a drive 
and uh, just a good evening out. And you go around, and you just check all the bean fields, see what's going on. One year, found a really nice 12 point um, doing that, like 30 yards off the road, about 70 yards from the public parking lot. And um, I was like, well, this is really interesting because obviously this deer is not going to be here like come opening day because the public parking lot's right there. Um, mm -hmm. But it gave me an idea as to where to start looking. And I never, I put out a bunch of trail cameras looking for him, never got eyes on him or anything, but he was killed um, about a half mile from that spot by a private land guy out of a, on public, he shot it out of a box blind on private and he shot Ooh. it onto the public and killed him. We got like, good for that dude. But, but yeah, um, he ended up, it wasn't, he ended up having 16 scorable points and he scored like one eighties or something like wow. that. Low one eighties. It was a really, really nice deer. Um, I saw him in like June and he was, he was 12. I mean, he was, I would have shot him hands down in June. <laughs> so um, yeah, he had a little bit of time to grow yet, but drive scouting is a great way to go about getting out there. If you don't know a piece, like putting in the time, putting in hours in your vehicle and just driving, if you can drive a side by side, that's awesome. Um, but otherwise, you know, there's, there's certain nights that are obviously better than others, like cold front nights, really, where it's like 80, 90 degrees for a few days and then it drops to like 70. Have you found that to be true where, where it's really worth, it's kind of like hunting. Like when is it worth taking that drive scout? Yeah, absolutely. Any kind of change in weather, um, even a light rain, I found a lot of, a lot of bucks on their feet. You know, it doesn't really matter um, if it's July or if it's October to your, to your point, right? It's any change, right? And the drop, because um, it changed from, you know, 90 degrees and humid to 70 with a, a nice northeast or, a, you know, a calm northeast breeze, I guess. I mean, that's still the same thing as a 20 degree temp drop come October or November. Yeah, so, yeah I think changes in temperature, changes in um, any of that makes sense. The other thing I, I would suggest is even start matching up moon phases, right? So when you have a daylight or evening um, lunar major, you know, you might want to want to go to where you think you can get eyes on, on a big buck. Um, you know, I want to I want to break another thing down for how to approach like another layer deep, right? To, to approach something. So um, over here now, where, where I'm now living, so, so six years after that other, other experience, I just got access to a new piece. Um, I was invited by a really good friend who happens to live down here. We're all from the same place. And he's like, hey, got this 240 acres. You know, um, I got permission to bow hunt it. I can bring, bring you. Let's go hunt it and, you know, help me set some stands, do whatever. I mean, it's an awesome opportunity. Couldn't be more blessed than, you know, than to have buddy buddy that wants to do that, right? So I got this. Yeah new property to, to run wild on and understand and do all that. Okay. So that's, that's already a win. Well, went out um, on a little bit of a rainy, you know, colder day on purpose, not that long ago uh, to actually to hang a couple stands and check it out. Well, as we're, it, no, this is all timber. It's 240 acres of timber, a little bit of swamp. Um, and then it borders some egg on, on the West side. There's egg on the West side. And then timber everywhere, you know, basically through that property and into the east. So it's not, you can't get eyes on a lot, obviously. Um, it's a bunch of hardwood and stuff, but here's what happened. So we're driving in the property 
and, and I posted a really nice picture of this. Um, we just literally 30 yards off the road, there's a, there's a pretty, pretty little eight pointer, another small buck behind it. I mean, just mid afternoon, just kind of standing there, you know, huh. so took pictures of that as we're driving in, I was, I already had Onyx hunt maps up anyway, because I'm look, I'm learning every, everything we look at, you know, I'm matching up at the topo lines, all that stuff. Right. And sure enough, those deer were moving east to west that day with a northeast wind. It was cold, a little rainy, northeast wind, kind of nasty day for summer. You know, we weren't going to be yeah. on the boat, so let's, let's get in the tree stands or whatever. And those deer, those two bucks were moving, you know, with the wind kind of at their, at their back, I guess, if you will. Yeah. And they were following a certain elevation, which I believe in the elevation principle wholeheartedly. I have ample deer killed because of that and that's a whole nother topic for a different day but they were staying on that same elevation and they were going to work the bench across right well here's here's what we did so looked at the track of that eight pointer it was at least you know three and a half year old eight pretty decent buck real pretty and then come to find out about two three hours into to the session we were looking at the north edge of the property on a yet a little bit higher elevation. So another ridge within the property, but about a half mile from where we saw that buck, there was a bigger track. Also working kind of east to west, you know, west to east, had some really cool bedding, little points and stuff on the ridge. Well, that's not the same buck. So we, and that track on the north side's coming from a much bigger deer, body-wise, age-wise. So without yeah. even a trail camera, <clears throat> We know just in like five minutes that there's a shootable eight pointer and that there's a bigger buck of some kind, you know, kind of working the north edge of the property on the next elevation line up, you know, so that's huge information. So to your point about summer scouting, I mean, we were scouting, right? So we see something. So then we start digging deeper. Let, I'm going to measure that track exactly. And then I'm going to make, if I see a bigger one, I'm going to be able to confirm what kind of mature deer are running around. I don't even need to put a camera up. Now, I don't know what he is. And quite frankly, that's okay. I'm kind of excited to see him, you know, yeah. uh, from the tree and, and on the hoof and then, then, you know, be surprised to be honest. So, so, I mean, we eliminated the need for a trail camera and we set an observation set on that North edge kind of, you know, for any kind of a North Northwest wind um, and then that's it. We're done. We set it. We're forgetting it. We'll hunt it on a perfect win and, and see what happens. Um, and I've had that exact kind of combination of, of things work for me many times. Um, you know, you see one thing and then you dive a little deeper and then maybe you put the puzzle together. So obviously it remains to, to be seen, you know, if, if we'll kill a, a nice one out of that North Edge stand, but it could happen. Yeah, no, for sure. I think one, to your point, I think, uh, I think one of the fun things about hunting is the surprise factor. And I feel like trail cameras are slowly eliminating that as they become more and more adopted. But I also, I, I like the data. I like the information and I like knowing, you know, so it's kind of one of those things that one of the reasons I enjoy hunting the rut so much is because it brings a, a whole level of surprise factor. And they're like, holy cow, I had no idea this deer even existed where 15, 20 years ago, that was just the case in general, <laughs> you know, for, for most hunters. Um, but no, that you bring up an, another great point, which is something that I'm very poor at. And that is like 
looking, measuring, identifying, and remembering tracks of specific deer. And people, some people are great at that. And I'm not, I'm not that great at that. So what this may seem like a super naive question, but you got a six or seven year old doe is, you know, you're looking at a three and a half year old buck track compared to a six year old doe track. Is there a major difference there? Are you going to be like, yes, that's a buck and that's a big doe or no? I think you could get, you know, smaller, um, not quite mature, mature buck tracks mixed up with those for sure. You know, but okay. I don't, you know, in my experience, when, when deer get to that five, that magical five and a half, six and a half, um, all the ones that, that at least that I, I've killed and people close to me have killed that are legit, you know, big bodied, maybe dress out around the 200 mark. Um, take a look next time you get to see some of those deer you know before they're all butchered up in the jerky and hot sticks <laughs> i mean you can't mistake that print i mean it's it's okay. something so again you won't you may not see that every time right i mean it's not they're not that common but when when they're there typically they really stick out the other thing too is i mean people other people may you know I, it'd be cool if people disagree with this but what i've rarely seen is one of those really monster buck tracks um, with a lot of other deer, you know, tracks. They're not really using the same trails. They're not necessarily okay. using the same part of a property all the time or, or what have you. Um, all the time, I can think of dozens of examples, different farms, different properties where, you know, you may have really heavy runs coming out of certain bedding cover and doing whatever. But, you know, kind of like a random over here, you know, just waltzing right across the middle of a, of a freshly tilled, you know, field in the spring is just the biggest track you've ever seen. And, you know, so those, those bucks are old for a reason. Um, they don't really walk around with the does, the fawns, and the spike horns all the time, right? Otherwise, right. they wouldn't be old. You know, so I think that's what I, I guess that's what I use to differentiate, but there's, there's, you're exactly right though. I mean, you, you can't really look at every single one and be like buck doe, buck doe, but those five and a half year old, huge body deer, plus, plus they walk, you know, they're spread out. They have a wide stand. Some of them will even start to, so if you, if you can see this, sometimes you can't track them long enough or in good enough ground or they're not fresh enough where you really can decide. So if you catch them, where they're fresh and you can get a good of a good enough pattern, you might see a wider base, you know, plus okay. this big, massive, deep print. I mean, you, you can't fake that. I mean, that's that's going to probably be your shooter, you know. Yeah. Then no, the other that, that's that's a great piece to a great piece to know because you know so many people are heavily relying on trail cameras nowadays that understanding kind of quote unquote old school ways to find good deer is something that I'm very interested in because like I said, you know, I don't have any cameras out in the public. I do have four years of historical data there though. So I generally know where I'm going to go. I have three spots on a Northwest wind. I have three or four spots that I'm going like, especially during the pre-rut of the rut. I know where I'm heading because over time I've figured out that those are the spots to be right. I've failed enough that I've found the good ones. Um, one, one other thing though, some people forget to do this. Let's say you bust your, your target buck or one that you know is legit that old. Like you see yourself bust that deer, whether it's season or not, um, or you see it cross a road, 
and you, you, when you're driving around, well, you've already moved the deer one way or another, right? Then try to get out the vehicle or go to where it was and try to identify that track. You know, so I can think of times sure. where I've, I've done that. I've, I've walked in and, and busted a buck and, you know, now I've already, I've already done that. I've already ruined that hunt. Now I might, I might as well get as much information as I can. So that's another yeah. little strategy that's just kind of, you know, I, I chalk that up into, and there's a list of things that I do that just kind of, I need to do. They're like mental cues to slow me down when I'm hunting. Sure. So I try to, you know, a lot of it's about processing as much information as possible. That slows me down. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's one of those things. So if, if I get into a situation where I kind of mess up, um, you know, you might as well. Right. Or you see right. a giant that, crosses that road and it's at even if it's at night it's near your property we'll jump out and look at the shoulder maybe it's mm -hmm. a gravel shoulder or there's some mud in the ditch you can get a handle on that track you know do you think uh, i mean do you think that uh, a track like where they're running i mean because there can be so much uh like a huge imprint because they're running and they got so much weight that it really makes the track look different than if they're just walking along the side of a field. Yeah, hard, hard even to track a running deer. They take such big, you know, yeah. I mean, so you probably wouldn't, wouldn't see that. But I mean, if, if they're just walking along the side of the road and all of a sudden they're like, oh shit, I got to go, <laughs> you know, and then they take off. I could see that being a great example of that. Yeah. Um, and that's another question is because I have friends send me Snapchats often enough of, big deer tracks but generally they're like running deer tracks and they're like this is a hog and i'm like well it's probably just a big doe running away from you or you know a two and a half year old running away who who knows um but the reason i say that is because i generally have an idea as to where they're hunting so i'm like is i don't think there's that great a deer in that area but um but so as far as like early season scouting goes you kind of touched on a few things there that i want to I want to just recap is, is driving around scouting, um, getting out of your vehicle and going walking field edges or walking trails and looking for tracks, right? Looking for good. And, and we're talking maturity here. We're not just talking any old, any old deer. Um, we're talking right. mature five and a half, six and a half year old deer, four and a half. I'm okay with four and a half. I'm okay with three and a half if they're good enough. <laughs> whatever, whatever makes us happy. I've shot plenty of plenty of young bucks. Right? Yeah, I know. I like, you know, last year I had a really nice two and a half year old eight come right under my tree at like four yards. Um, I could have spit on him and I just filmed him walk by and I was like, well, I'm probably going to regret that, you know, come January 31st when season ends. <laughs> and I, and I did, but at the same time, a passing him is what gave me the opportunity at that non-typical at 30 yards. And I just couldn't, couldn't get the shot. So, you know, it, I mean, I passed the one, but the other one showed up and I just couldn't make it happen. Um, but anyway, check getting out, walking, putting on some miles, putting on some boots. It's hard to do in the summer. Cause it just sucks. Like, to be honest, like there's so much vegetation, especially on public ground. Um, one thing that I do to combat that is in the heat, like in mosquitoes, like I'm just not a fan of that whole scenario. I try to have everything done by May that I really want to know. Um, but um, I actually was willing to drive. So in Southwestern Wisconsin, or even just kind of Western Wisconsin in general, it's really hilly, lots of creeks, lots of ridges and valleys. There are far fewer mosquitoes there 
than in the dirty swamp that's right outside my house. So one year I was actually, I went out and I scouted a piece down in Southwest Wisconsin, just for that factor for early season. So I don't have to deal with the mosquitoes. Um, and it, it worked out. It worked out. I got out there. I hunted a few times, saw some good deer, um, never had an opportunity. And then by the time I was, you know, but I didn't get any opportunities early season, but then mid season, I was back over here, you know, once it got cooler, but, um, but anyway, getting out, walking around, checking your areas, um, looking for tracks. What, um, Oh, the other thing I was going to say is, uh, early mornings getting out when it's cool. Um, I've found that to be really helpful for me. So I'll get up on a Saturday at 4am when it's 55, 50 degrees out in the morning and get going. And then I'll have all my scouting done for that day by 7am. And there's generally like, once the sun comes up, it gets a little warm, mosquitoes come out, gets hot, gets annoying. Like I'm generally putting in my time at that 4am to 6am timeframe. And then, you know, I have the rest of the day to take a nap or whatever the hell I feel like doing. Mm -hmm. um, you got any other tips for scouting early season? If you're not using trail cameras, I mean, you're really driving, getting out, walking, looking for tracks. Um, yeah. Yeah. The scenarios we're, you know, we're talking about are like when you have to hunt or you end up hunting new property, you didn't know you had in January, February, March, and April. Yeah. Right. Yep. Ideally, uh, you know, exactly the same way I wouldn't be back in the woods post April. You know, if I had my way deer, I'm actually going to go hunt after, um, you know, I'm just, I don't want to even be there in the summer. Uh, so yeah. the scenarios we talked through were like, say, you know, like my examples, right. I moved to a new area. Now I find out I can hunt property a, so I don't have any choice, but the scout August and July and June or sure. whatever. Um, so just, that should be kind of that overall general disclaimer that, you know, get it all done when, when you can, when you can see when the snow's maybe just there a little bit, um, but definitely before the green comes back and then leave things alone because by far number one, my absolute number one tip, it always will be my number one tip is deer need sanctuaries and they need a lack of human presence, you know? So if you can, you want to be careful even now, I mean, you know, we're what, like, are we like a month away? We're almost yeah. we're a month. Away, yeah. We? Tomorrow. Ah, Tomorrow is a month, 30 exactly. days out. We're like a yeah. month away. Month away. <laughs> yeah. now, man. You I'll know, drink so, to that. Cheers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, so uh, you probably got something better in yours than I, than I do, but. Um, I got this. Uh, I've been trying to become, um, what do I want to say? More, um, not professional, more snobby. I've been trying like these bourbons just on ice. Um, so I just go to the liquor store and I'll buy my, I'll buy my Kessler's. I'll buy my, uh, my brandy. Um, I'll buy my Tito's and then I will see and look at the bourbons and just go, I, I don't know. Is there one that's more than $30? And I'll, I'll pick that one and give it a go. <laughs> well, I mean, pretty much everything you said is out of, out of my league. I mean, you know, Bush Light or just <laughs> vodka Red Bull guy. I mean, that's good enough. I do. People. I do have, I do have plenty of cases of Bush Light in my garage as well. So I'm not, I'm not that snobby yet. Just on, no, that, on, on a was, Tuesday night. <laughs> that, was, yeah, that was impressive though. Someone who says, I'm intentionally going to snob this up a little bit. I, love <laughs> I know my boundaries. I know my limits, man. 
you know um i will also wear the same you know the same clothes for four days straight if i don't have to see any other people <laughs> yes yes i agree with that I agree, um, yeah. but um you brought up something a couple times now and it's that that tip that you just said which is kind of set it and forget it and don't go back um you mentioned it earlier on that north uh, where you're setting up for a northwest wind. And then previously, like when you were just explaining yourself, you said you try to hunt every property once or hunt a different property all the time. Um, mm -hmm. And that just, to me, like there's a lot, there's a lot of people that say that. Um, I think, I think that comes with historical data and being experienced. Once you understand how a property lays out, like I mentioned earlier, if I get a Northwest wind on the public land, I have four spots that I'm going to. I don't need to go in there and muck it all up right now. I don't need to go scout. I don't need to put in all that time because I have in years past and I know where I'm going. So if I get four good Northwest winds over multiple days, I have four spots where I'm going to go and I'll probably just rotate those four, you know, as I go. Um, but, uh, and you mentioned, yeah, you mentioned that earlier. Uh, when you're going in and scouting like early season, like you found that spot and you're like, okay, this is a good spot. So you're essentially saying once you find a good spot, just mark it on Onyx and then walk away and don't come back until you know when to hunt it. Right. Mm -hmm. So what are, what are some key factors with knowing quote unquote, when to hunt it? Is it really just wind direction? Is it weather changes? You mentioned the moon earlier. I am not a moon believer fan. I know you are. Um, <laughs> so so you mentioned that what are like i mean is that really the only few things that you're really looking at early season i mean maybe food source like i mean acorns or whatever it is yeah but i'm gonna there's still this other disclaimer we need to mention too right so because i have like most people like a regular job I'm hunting every day I get to hunt, right? So <laughs> I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna hunt days that are not ideal because the days that I get a field are, are pretty limited. Okay. And I yeah. would rather hunt and see nothing. Um but learn a hot day or a bad day than than not hunt. So there's that too. So it's not like every hunt's successful, right? In the terms of like I saw a shooter or I killed one. Um, you know, speaking I for all of us. Well, you mentioned you know, earlier, that. like those shooters are generally alone. So either like it's kind of a, a hundred or a zero in some scenarios. Like yep. I remember, I remember when I, I've gone out and hunting with a few people on the public and I'm like, do you want a chance at a, at a shooter or do you just want to see deer? Like I have different spots for both. One, yep. you're, you're very likely to see a bunch of deer. You, you may just see like the biggest buck, probably a two and a half year old other spots are you're probably not going to see anything but if you do see something it's probably going to be good mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that, that can definitely be, be true for sure you know so i basically i plan my whole season in advance right so like i know i know the days that are at least what i think are my days <laughs> that i can be a field Right. Okay. So I literally do a, a pencil paper, pen paper, or a whiteboard in my used to have a nice hunting office, but we moved. So <laughs> it's getting ready. Wait till you see the shop. We got an indoor range. It's gonna you're gonna love it. Oh anyway, nice. I wish, I wish I could be in there right now, but it, there's I can't get the Wi-Fi through the steel walls. But anyway, huh. another story. 
That's for later. Um, you know, but what I'll do is I'll map the whole thing out and I will look at, you know, what state I'm going to be in that weekend, if you will, or that chunk of time, if I take some extended time. And then I'm looking at all the options I have, like in one big puzzle. I just start slotting things in based on, on what the conditions are going to be. And I've typically don't have to get more complicated than those are my, that's my option for that wind in that state on that property because in that time frame, you know, that, yeah. that's, that's all I have. I might have right. four days this year to hunt Illinois or Missouri. I, I don't even know yet if I'm going to hunt either one, I might, it's going to be a four day hunt max. So, you know, I got it slotted in. Right. And if I get mm -hmm. to go, I'm only going to have a couple options. I'm going to have a couple Southeast wind options for sure. I'm going to have, uh, I'm going to have some West stuff and, that's it. I'm going to, I'm just going to roll. And then what I will do, here's the next, there is one other layer to this, right? So I, I like to get really deep with, with my planning and my philosophies, right? So the next layer is say, say I have two options for a Southeast wind on a property in Missouri that I'm going to have four days to hunt. And I think there's only going to be a Southeast, like maybe one or two hunts. I'm going to probably hunt the closer or the less um the invasive. least invasive one first and i'm going to gain information um and then that, you know then i'll go all in when i need to so I, that is something i'll typically do <laughs> okay gotcha um so what about what about guys like non non out-of-state hunters so you know I, I i hunt you know a, a 400 acre piece of public you know 20 minutes down the road. That's what I've kind of, that's where I've kind of set myself up on this year. That's where I want to go. I've found a few spots that I think are good. Um, should I hunt them on any wind or should I wait for the right wind where I can kind of enter and exit that? Um, yeah. You know, like it, a, it's, I always call them ghost routes or I try to call yep like a term I came up with, like a ghost route where you can enter and exit without ever being noticed, ever being seen. You know, you're not leaving any scent behind. You're not really crossing any deer trails or anything. Um, and you can set up with the per with a great win. Um, do I wait yeah. for that? Or if I have limited time, do I just go give it a whirl? And you know, if I bust them, I bust them. If I don't, I don't. Do you want to shoot a big buck or do you want to shoot a deer? Right. Uh, yeah, no. So <laughs> if, if you want to shoot well, a deer, go when yeah. you go go when you can. Yeah. Yeah. So if you want to, if, if you yeah. want to shoot that biggest deer in that neighborhood, then you have to mind the wind. I mean, and so you have absolutely. to like, you essentially have to like, so if I, if I took a Friday off and it's not the right wind, like 10 days out, I look at the forecast. I'm like, damn, it's not the right wind. Like I should just not even go there and just go pick some random spot on the map. I have better odds or better I luck would. with just playing the right wind and just picking a spot. I would, unless it's, you know, if you're talking Wisconsin, if it's November 6th through the 10th, then maybe I would chance the wrong wind, you know, but uh, maybe, um, but I, and I definitely in the morning, mornings aren't as impactful wind wise, right? Thermals, everything rises yep. and you're, you can kind of do things a little different. Um, so if it's, if it's rut and I'm just making some assumptions here, uh, typically people that love, love to, you know, whitetail hunt and go after them with the bone Wisconsin, they'll take that week 
off for at least a day or two within there. Um, so if you have that full day, my suggestion is you can get into that wrong wind stand if you stay in there for the day. Sometimes you might want to hunt your way there, but that's very unique strategy. I, I do that. I, I'll plan those dark to dark hunts where I might sit in three spots. I've done that a few times and I, those are my favorite days of all time. And I, I stay out. I'm hunting from literally dark to dark. Um, and I'll tell you what, you can learn, a person can learn so much when you're not worried about getting back to the truck, going to lunch, going to quick trip, not wrong quick trip, but you know, <laughs> you know, going back yeah. to the camp for, for, you know, uncle Joe's eggs. And, you know, I mean, if you just hunt that whole, a whole day and, and know that you have a little bit of a route, if you can do that, right. If it's, if you're a hunter and you have your stand and it's your stand and that's it, you're going to go in and out and hunt the last, you know, two hours of the evening. That's one thing. But if you have a property and it's kind of yours and you have some space, you can do that effectively. And, you know, so where, where I learned that a lot was growing up hunting those huge tracts of public land up north and just getting sick of going back to camp or, you know, I'm like, oh, I want to stay out all day. I mean, the middle of the day in the fall is sometimes the best part of the day. It's just yeah. beautiful. You know, it's beautiful to be out. It's when it gets a little warm, you're not cold anymore. You know, actually a lot of critters start moving. There's a lot of bucks killed between 11 and one a lot mm -hmm. of big bucks killed between 11 and one, you know, so that's something else a guy could think about or a person could think about how could I plan a full day hunt, especially that, that November time. Right. You know, um, you can put a lot of pieces to a puzzle together. If you're out there dark to dark and you know, not as long as you're not scaring everything out of the, into the next <laughs> Right. Right. Um, but as far as, and I don't, I don't mean to like, correct you or keep you on track but as far as early season goes just kind of let that let that one slide and just walk away from that day I or go pick that. somewhere where you're not worried about buggering it up yeah sorry for bird walking there i get excited. no 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 it's cool the rut, the <laughs> no you're fun. right the rut's yeah fun, no man. no you're right i feel you're like right. i wrote i have a little list of notes here <laughs> to keep myself on track so we don't go down that <laughs> down that route yeah, no um, all good all good no so, um, okay. So essentially, you know, find a spot. One thing that I like to do a lot is when I find a spot that I really like, I say to myself, okay, the most prevalent wind or the, like for a cold front, which really gets bucks on their feet in early season is a Northwest wind. Like that's generally what brings a cold front in the Midwest. Um, and I like to always pick, uh, if I can find a good spot, I like to pick a spot in there for a Northwest wind. And I also like to pick a spot for a south wind. Can I hunt this from two different, two different areas? Can I enter and exit this from a south wind or a northwest wind? Depending on the piece, you know, sometimes a road might border the north end and the south end, and you can access it from different areas, but still get to that same general hunting area. So that's one thing that I like to do is be able to multi-plan that and um, one way I, I do that, one way I really help myself, and finally Onyx came out with filters, but I color coat my stands on my Onyx for wind conditions. So I can filter, like if it's south wind, I just filter all my yellow stands. So that's all I'm looking at. And now I know what stands I can go to based on a south wind versus a northwest wind. Because those are generally the most common 
um, mm-hmm. in Wisconsin, Southwest wind, Northwest wind. Um, so that's one, one tip that I have that I think is really effective um, is if, if you can make that work, do it. it. There's certain spots that I have that only set up for a Southwest wind. Like that's all you got. If it ain't a Southwest wind, you ain't going in. And there's other spots that one thing that I really like to use is a strong wind, like a 20 mile to 30 mile an hour wind in the middle of the day to get into a spot that's difficult to get into or tight or close to a bedding area. Mm-hmm. You know, the bedding, like you got this big swamp, it's all kind of watery, kind of marshy. So the deer aren't really laying in it and they're bedded up on this little ridge right on the edge of it. Right. And right on that little edge is the first tree and you're, you know, under a hundred yards from these deer being able to use that high wind to my advantage and in, in the early season has been really helpful. I've, I've found that where I am uh, a couple of years ago, it was, it was unreal. Um, I was maybe 120 yards from a main road. Um, I was probably a hundred yards from a, from a guy's house on public land. I had a good Northwest wind. It dropped 20 degrees. I got into a spot and it's mainly all just tall grass. So it's, it's mainly pheasant hunters. And I know that I need, if I'm going to hunt that spot, I have to get there before pheasant season opens because other, once that happens, like every, everything's out of there. Cause guys just walk everywhere and move everywhere. Um, and, uh, I got in there and I got set up and I had a doe and a fawn stand up like 60 yards from me, watched them stand up in this little kind of thicket. Um, I was like, oh crap, there they are. They worked their way right to me. They came into 15 yards and moved out. Um, I could have shot them, but I was, honestly, I was just, it was pretty hot. So it was still, you know, like 70 some degrees. It was really buggy that day as well. I mean, I literally almost for the first 50 yards, I ran (laughs) when I got out of my vehicle just to try to get rid of the mosquitoes. Um, and, uh, but I had, uh, four bucks come out and feed within 80 yards of the guy's house. I filmed it too. And I had, if you know, if you ever look at the, I'll show you, I have to show you the footage sometimes, but all the bucks are at the top of the frame because I couldn't go up any higher else. I'd be pointing it at the guy's house and people would know where I am. <laughs> like that's on public. I mean, like, you know, the closest they got to me was 70 yards, but the back one was a pretty nice, like 110, 120 inch eight. Um, and I was like, holy shit. Like, you know, just that cold front Northwest wind set up for that. And that's just how it worked. I did not have a Southwest wind spot for that, but it just, it only set up for a Northwest. Mm-hmm. So one, that's my big piece of advice for that is when you find a spot that you know is good um, and you find good tracks, if you can set up for two wins, pick those spots, mark them, and then leave it. Like you said, don't come back until you get that good win. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. yeah. I'll support yeah. what you said though, just about Onyx, you know, they're, uh, they're really making it, it convenient, you know, and, and nice for, for us to, to really, you know, keep track of that data. I'm still a little, I use it. I use it every day. I use Onyx for a lot of things, even more than even just even finding my you know, I used it to find fishing spots in Montana this week <laughs> and it worked very well for that too. But anyhow, um, you know, so we absolutely excited about, about that, them coming out with more, you know, ways to use it and definitely cool. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, to 
further that early season. So, you know, you've done your scouting, you're looking at the piece, you're not a big trail camera guy, right? Why not? Exactly. Uh, you know, I, I, I think they, I don't know. I, I, a lot of reasons, I guess the most, um, personally, I, I just love the hunt and, and I, I don't want, um, I don't want to be skewed by my own pictures. You know, I, I see a lot of people I've heard for, for so many years. I mean, we're going back 15 years. I've heard people, buddies, you know, get onto these cameras and start saying things like, I don't have them on camera. I don't have them on camera. I don't have them on camera. Well, if you really think about how, especially in the old days, the trail cameras functioned and how many things that they missed and a deer is not a robot. It's not going to walk in the same spot and stand there and pose every single time, you know, and I just, it, it blew my mind that people would give up hunting spots or not even hunt or, you know, or, or just get really crazy about, about what they had or didn't have on camera. And I just felt like it was, it was just tainting the experience, I guess, for mm -hmm. all, like I could observe this. And I'm just like, that just, I don't like that. Right. Um, so I, I, you know, I'm still like a little kid. I mean, deer season to me is used to be the, well, it was, it was always the, the absolute highlight of my life, you know, just opening night and everything that went with it. And it still is. Um, and you know, I didn't have cameras when I grew up, I'm still a little bit older. Right. And, and it just, it was never a part of it. And we were very successful on public land for a very long time as a family without cameras doing the same stuff I'm doing right now. And I just, I don't, I don't use them, you know, now that being said, there are a lot of times where I recommend them for clients where I recommend them for buddies and, or, um, I, you know, I suggest to someone else, you know, Hey, here's a good idea. So like, it's not like I'm against them. I want to kill my deer in its natural environment, doing what a deer is supposed to do without any intervention. I don't want a food plot. I don't want a mineral lick. I don't want a camera. I don't want to know when he's coming. That's my preference. I, it doesn't mean if you do that, no, I don't mean you just everybody, the collective, I don't, that's fine. You know, that's, that's cool. Um, it just doesn't do it for me. I want right. to do it my, my way. Now, here's an early season strategy. And I, in fact, I just talked with a really good buddy about this. Um, there's a time, especially now, when all of a sudden you get confirmation, hey, there's a stud. And, you know, whether you knew he was there or not, or he's a, hang, a leftover buck from the years past or not, doesn't matter. Just, okay, now there's a legit stud, you know, it gets our blood boiling, we're ready. And if we just aren't sure, or if a person isn't sure, I do suggest camera traps, um, especially if it's in a hard to access spot. So I'll walk through a hypothetical, you know, um, hypothetical could be, you know, maybe an old overgrown food plot that still holds a lot of deer because it's a differential in cover. You know, it's embedded in this valley of hardwoods and maybe there's a cornfield on the north and, you know, bean field on the south, you know, something like that. Um, it's hard to get into without busting deer. You don't know what's in the corn when it's standing, which would be early season, what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. You may not exactly know where that giant beds say, or where he may typically spend his time, say midday or early afternoon when one would walk into a stand to hunt early season, 
right? Sure. If we don't know where the deer is at three o'clock, we best not be walking towards him at three o'clock. <laughs> right. Got it? Yeah. Right. So no matter what the wind is, we can guess where he might be, but no matter what the wind is, um, we're going to bust 50% of the cover anyway, right? Because no matter what, your scent is getting dispersed the other direction. Right. right? Yeah. No matter what. So an example where a camera tra trap might work would be, you know, in this kind of scenario, um, set up three cameras at least, I'd say three, you know, two of them facing the trail, you know that deer, for whatever reason, somehow you confirmed it, you saw him, you saw him and you validated a track or whatever, or you walked in there to look at the food plot and you moved him out, I don't know. But wherever you think he's coming, I would set an opposite, right? So if the trail runs primarily say, uh, northeast to southwest i'd put two like this okay. right but make sure yeah. the time dates are accurate hopefully their cell cams load them up charge them up and don't don't go ever near them again and then you might want to let's say where you think the best bedding cover is around that open area where you might have had confirmed sighting or another picture of this deer i think you have to somehow pick yet even another trail and try to get a, a shot of that deer or some kind of cell cam thing if, if you're into that, where he's coming or going and you gotta try to pin him down in that, in that early evening, right? So if you don't know where he's at in that early afternoon, for early season, I strongly suggest a camera trap like that, right? Sure. So three cell cams would work great. Now, Here's what most people don't do this because they're not going to put a thousand dollars of cameras in the same 50 yards. <laughs> However, think of it a different way. If I shoot that buck, is it worth it to put my thousand dollars in three, three cell cameras in that 50 yards? There's not a hunter I know that's going to say, well, no, I wouldn't do that. Right. But yet we'll have right. the tendencies. We're going to put them all over the place. Um, yeah. So that's one thing that I don't think enough people really talk about or give advice to is, is remember we're honing in from, I love hunting. I love whitetail hunting. I'm going to bow hunt too. I'm going to kill that deer in that spot. Right? right. So you go from super macro to micro and that's one suggestion I, I would, would offer. Now the, the layout of how any given spot would determine how do you do that camera trap? Like, you know, that's, you literally have to look at it. And that's one thing that I've done for a few people um, that has really paid dividends. Really, because some, sometimes people don't know. They've owned the properties for 20 years and they just say, well, they always come from the West. Well, that might be true in, you know, March or it might be true in August, but it wasn't true ever in October, uh, November or today right. or those and fawns in that 10 point that, you know, is, he's just not coming from there. So yep. um, that's one thing that, that I would really suggest cameras can be useful for just personally. I, I don't really know. I, I think, um, and one of the things that you speak to, and I don't know if, if you understand the bias or not in it is the fact that your family has hunted that piece for years and years and years. You understand it, you know it. Um, and your your family you have all those people working with you to gather the data gather the information and you can make plans and strategize with all those brains working together a guy by himself 
using trail cameras can shorten that learning curve on a new piece much quicker, right? You know, instead of taking five years to learn a piece, they're taking two or three, right? Because the cameras are giving them a lot of information. And then nothing's ever going to replace time in the woods because, I mean, cameras only look a certain direction. They only see a certain thing. If you're not pointing them in the right direction and they misfire, there's all sorts of things that can go wrong with cameras. I definitely agree with that. Um, but it's, for me, it just really shortens the learning curve in figuring out a piece to that end, your camera traps. I don't, I just bought my first cell cam and I honestly bought it for my dad who wants it for security purposes. He wants it on the front tree of the road. The previous owner to the property that we have let anybody and everybody do whatever they freaking felt like on the property. Oh yeah, you want to hunt? Go for it. Oh, you want to pick morels? Go for it. Oh, you want a turkey hunt? Go for it. Oh, you just want to walk around? Cool, that's fine. You know, so people kind of, like I've had my neighbors say to me, oh yeah, I pulled in the other day and I pulled up to the shed, checked around, no one was here. I'm like, well, what do you, yeah, don't do that. You know, <laughs> we need to get a gate, right? Is what we need. Um, but he wanted, he just wanted a cell cam so that he could see when people come in and out. And we're also building a shed now. So he wants to kind of um, see those people coming in and out and, and it just makes it all convoluted with who's actually supposed to be there and who's not. Um, so I bought him a cell cam so that he can see all that stuff. He's just going to put it on the driveway. Once all that stuff's done, I'm probably going to steal it and go put it in the woods, not tell him about it. Still make him play, pay for the data plan though. That's for sure. <laughs> um, but one of the ways I have found to combat the invasiveness of putting you know that's why you ask that's why you want to sell cams there, right? Because it's invasive to go in there and check those cameras. Um, it's it's not a good idea. like you're you're getting in there, you're mucking around, you're leaving your scent there. like you're not giving those deer their space, which is another key point that you continually make. And I wholeheartedly agree with that. Um, I set a lot of my cameras on, on trails that cross four wheel trails. So that gives me, um, you know, part of its laziness, part of its uh, effectiveness, um, because it gives me only four steps into the woods or six steps into the woods rather than 50, right? Mm -hmm. And the deer are used to four wheelers going up and down and human scent kind of generally on that four wheel trail. Um, they're not used to it coming 30 yards off on their trail that they use the last three weeks, you know, once a week, like they are not used to smelling that. So if I can, um, put those cameras in areas where they, they think, okay, it's normal to smell human scent here, but I'm going to cross this at, you know, 7 PM or 9 PM or 1 AM or whatever. And I'm not, it's not a big deal for me. I'm going to do that, but it gives me the idea of a time frame for them. So like if I'm say it gets light at 7am and I'm catching them at 630 or 6am, you know, one or two nights a week coming in this general area, I know he's got to be bedding close. He's got to be his first bed has got to be somewhere close to that camera, you know, within a few hundred yards, most likely a couple hundred yards. Um, and vice versa, if I catch them in the daylight, right, you know, 20 minutes before dark, I know where they're bedding for the days generally got to be close unless for some freak reason, you know, someone bumped them out of their bed or whatever. 
So that is one way that I like to use trail cameras to be less invasive. Now on public, that just screams, steal me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just like, it's an awful, I think it's an awful decision to do that. Um, so on public, I am more invasive. Um, but I try to try to minimize that invasiveness. If so, for instance, um, there's a big thicket of woods that I know deer bed in. Um, it's a, it's, it's a ridge goes down into a swamp and the ridge is like 30 feet tall, goes down into a swamp. Then there's a thicket and then another small ridge and then another swamp on the other side. So, um, that small ridge in the middle is really thick. It holds deer and same with the thicket right before it. It's just high enough off the ground that it doesn't hold water. You know, it's a foot, a foot higher than the surrounding area. So it doesn't hold water. And we're talking about a half acre here. What I will do is to be as least invasive as possible is I will take the water on the way in and I'll walk through, you know, the six inches of water that's generally in there brave the mosquitoes. Um, again, generally do it at 5am, 4am to get in there. And I'll hang my camera on a trail coming out of that thicket. Um, and I just, I just a hundred percent risk the opportunity that I'm going to bump a deer out of there. Like I just, I just totally risk it. And, um, and it's, it's a calculated risk because I'll, I like to try to play the wind and make sure that I'm using the right wind or I'm using a windier day or something. But, you know, kind of like to your point earlier, I only have so many weekends, like it's got to get done. <laughs> so whatever, I'm risking it. These deer get bumped all the time anyway. They're used to human pressure generally on this piece of public. So it is what it is. I'm just going to go ahead and do it. And I'll set that camera up and I'll hang it 10 feet in the air. I'll try to camouflage it a bit. But generally I'm getting off the typical trail, I don't know, 150 yards, 200 yards. So I'm getting far enough off that, uh, that I don't think I'm gonna catch a lot of people. And then I'm hanging it 10 feet in the air, I'm aiming it down, I'm putting a lock on it. So it's out of people's line of sight. And even if they do see it, they gotta have a climbing stick to get it and a bolt cutters to take it off. So it just, it just adds level of safety to me. And it's more invasive than putting it right off the four wheel trail but it still gives me decent data and um, I'm not as invasive as walking right into the thicket and setting it in there. Right. So that's kind of my trail camera strategy for early season. Um, but I do like, I like the idea of being just a better hunter and not needing them. <laughs> uh, you know, and I'm sure everybody, everybody likes that. It is fun to get the pictures and everything, but I like the idea of just getting good enough that I don't need them. Or, you know, at some point, five, six years down the road, I'll know this piece of private that we own good enough that I don't need them. I just want them to see what bucks are out there and around kind of take inventory purposes, you know, made a video today on inventory versus huntable data trail cameras. Those are two totally different cameras um, camera setups. And, uh, and I, I just, there's different reasons for each of them. So, well, go ahead. Want to go? You can talk. Well, no, I was going to say, I was going to say, I think you're right that there can be two different functions for the cameras, right? Like your video showed. That's very smart. I think a lot of people just, they don't realize that and they kind of, they're one in the same, you know, they're, they're, 
they're using them for kind of both purposes and that's where they may get frustrated. You know, I'm just not saying I would, but others do because they don't, they don't see the difference or even realize that. And, you know, and I, I just, what I would say is this is if you like, if you like inventory in that part of the process, more power to you. It's just, it might not be for all hunters. And I know it's not for all hunters, but there's a lot of that. That is exciting too, especially when it's a private piece that you've invested in. Like, you know, the purchase, obviously that, I think that makes a ton of sense. You know, you can do a couple of different things. You know, a, a person can hire, you know, someone like me to do some work and, or, you know, do some camera stuff and figure it out. And, or just like you said, spend five years and, trial and error and combination of things. And, and you'll, you'll have it. Absolutely. Um, you know, so I get that. I mean, I've never bought a large tract of land really. I've leased land, you know, all over and, um, traded for stuff or whatever. I get all that. And, you know, and, and I just, it, to me, I'm going to hunt it anyway. Right. So like, do I need to know there are four eight pointers that are two and a half or do I just, know that there's probably a two and a half year old eight pointer <laughs> out, you know? right I mean, and that is yeah but it bet. is cool it is cool i hunt i hunt with a, a buddy he's a great friend and he he does a great job with with his cameras and you know he's not invasive and he, he doesn't check them a lot and he gets the inventory i try to say don't tell me i don't even want to know what's out there right <laughs> um but i well, but let it, me show it, you this picture yeah we're going to hear it it works, but it works, you know, and yeah. it's cool to know, you know, and you see the excitement when someone does get the big pick. It's just, I see, I've seen people in my past that have like the, the pick of the big one, like was, that was good enough, you know? That was and, the climax. I, yeah. yeah. And I'm like, no, 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 <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm going to kill him, you know? So, right, like, yeah. you know, so, so that's just, that's, I've just seen it change people mm-hmm. a little bit here and there. And, um, but they can absolutely yeah. help, help you kill deer. There's no question. No. Uh, and to, just to clarify for anybody wondering the difference between inventory versus huntable data, it's essentially inventory trail cameras give you those, they give you a lot of pictures of deer, but they're generally in non huntable hours. So 10 PM to 4 AM and food sources in the summer or whatever, like you get a lot of pictures, but you can't kill anything in there. Cause they're always, they're only there at night. Huntable data trail cameras are more like focused on certain trails, exactly how your camera trap was talking about earlier. Uh, certain trails, funnels, pinch point scrapes where you can find them in daylight hours. And that's like specific huntable data. You're going to get far fewer pictures but you're going to get like actionable pictures is about, yeah, that's a good Absolutely. way to describe it. If you're putting your camera over a mineral lick or a corn pile, you're taking inventory. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Very likely. Um, so, all right. Last, one of the last things I know we've got, we're like at an hour and a half or close to here. Um, food sources, early season food sources. So, what are your favorites? Are you, is that generally your, your strategy? Are you hunting over those early season? Like how, how do you go about tackling food sources? That's a great question. You know, I, I think the, what I like to do, and this changes year to year, definitely a fan of oaks and finding those white oak trees embedded in on the ridges. You know, there aren't many white oak trees, but usually um, those are like uh you know, that's a delicacy, right. To a, to a big white tail. Um, is there a difference between white and red? 
Yeah, I don't, I don't really understand the, 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 what's the, what's the plant? I don't know the, the like genus. Scientific. No, no, I, I don't know why they're different, right? But I okay. just think it's like, well, it's like for me, I'd rather eat a ribeye than a hamburger. <laughs> so okay. I think the white acorns on certain white oaks are like ribeyes versus you know the red oak. Acorn. They'll eat them, but oh really? No, I, yeah, they I don't. Yeah, yeah, okay. they prefer white oak. Um, usually you know okay. so there's those are those bigger little gnarlier you know um so that that's one one yeah. thing i really like to white do oaks fact, have round leaves red oaks have pointy leaves that's how i learned it red oak like go. blood is pointy um or a oh. knife is sharp you know so it draws blood whereas white oaks have just rounded leaves that's how i remember it yeah, would one stand on public land in central Wisconsin for a couple of years, just called literally like White Oak Knob, used to name the stands, right? And it's on this awesome high little knob around a beaver pond and had one, two actually big white oak trees on there. And, you know, and I mean, it would just for a couple of days in mid-September, that whole ground was just tore, just tore up. And then, you know, then they, they'd still come through there because it was a funnel, but you know, just not as, not as often once they kind of sucked everything up. So I'm a, I'm an acorn guy, um, as far as food source, you know, that's as natural as it gets, right? Like they yep. either grow or they don't grow. And then they fall off the tree. Like a human doesn't have to intervene for deer to eat yeah. acorns. So I like that. Um, you know, and if I don't have access to that, or if I'm hunting a piece that where that's just not the strategy, you know, my, my next best thing really isn't a food source. It's really going to be a water source. Um, oh, if I okay. Can. Yeah. I mean, if there's, if you know, there's a spring or there's some natural source of cleaner or colder water that for whatever reason draws, draws deer. And there are, um, you know, which is fascinating because sometimes you can be hunting in an area with a lot of water, but for whatever reason, there's a particular you know, spot that I've never researched that. I've always yeah. just, I've always just considered like if I'm hunting a swamp, like water doesn't matter because they'll get it anywhere. But no, no, not necessarily. But it, you know, but there's no formula to it yet. Like I can't, I don't have a way to, um, you know, increase the odds per se. You know, yeah. on places I've hunt, I can say, well, for some reason, you know, that little ditch, <laughs> you know, whatever, you know, but. uh so, so I will, I'll try to find water in September and even in October, um, you know, more than I'll look for, for food. I don't mind hunting over beans. I really don't, you know, I have a shot of great deer last year over beans opening day. I mean, it was, it was awesome. You know, it was one of the highlights yeah. of my career and the just giant. the whole day went down. Yeah. It was just a fun hunt. And, um, you know, that, he was, I don't know if he was going to eat beans or not, but he didn't have a chance because he jumped over a <laughs> fence and he got 125 grains of slick trick, you know? So um, yeah. he might've just been passing through that corner for all <laughs> I know. Uh, doesn't matter. He wasn't, he wasn't going to eat anything else. Um, you know, but I, I don't mind a bean field for sure. But, you know, the, the challenge is there are, I, earlier in my career, when I started hunting farm country earlier, finding some beans, sometimes it felt like with a climber, like you'd be almost playing like whack-a-mole, you know, like I'm going to hunt that point because I observed deer bucks coming out there. And then while well, they came out 200 yards over the next night, 
then you go over there and then they come back and you know so there there was a method yeah. to it you know and there are some things I don't want to get that deep to, to kind of just pinpoint which little sure. spot on the bean field. But, um, you know, that's one of the reasons why I don't like hunting those huge food sources because it's just, I mean, if you don't come anywhere, well, right. Yeah. If you're hunting a field edge, it's a half mile of beans. That's all. And you're hunting with a bull. I mean, he got 40 yards and 40 yards, right. Right. Um, you know, so, you know, so the, the, the beans don't matter as much to me at that point as, the access to or the bedding area, right? So okay. the right bedding area with a funnel to the beans matters more to me than just beans in general. Gotcha. Yeah. So it's working even. So even if that food source is there, you're saying, so you know, even that it's so big, like you want to try to pinpoint it down to where they're actually coming from. And then are you hunting that, are you hunting like the mouth of that funnel kind of? Yeah, you can't. Yeah, absolutely. If you can that, get there. Yep. Typically yep. in Wisconsin, west side of the state where, where you are, right? Southwest and do some rifle hunting down there and stuff. You know, with all those hills and ridges, a lot of deer, the bucks are, you know, they're, they like that elevation. And I've talked about that before. Yep. A different way they like it is they like to see. And sure. you, know, you try picking out a whitetail from a half mile, you know, up when there's the leaves on the trees on a hardwood ridge, looking at you sitting in bed where it's not even twi you, it's almost impossible. Right. And yeah, you know, the reason they like those ridges is just move over the other side. Like it's literally a split second and then they're gone. Right. So there's escape, yep. you know, so you also have to be a little careful of, you know, if you walking through a little draw in a bean field, you got your climber on and a camera and a bowl and you, you know, you clunking your way up there potentially if you don't know where bucks might be bedded and you're going in the wrong angle based on the wind because they're bed different with the wind they may just watch you walk right up to the tree and then just they're gone over the other right. side I, you know so what I've you need to do that. is get yourself a tree saddle you gotta get rid of that <laughs> climber thing so <laughs> i'm totally kidding i'm just messing with you no, I, I'm too old to learn new new stuff like that, man. I'd be up there tied out in circles. <laughs> oh man, man, I'll I'll, just, I'll get you. I'll get you in mind. Um, I'll get you in mind. It's it, it looks it looks like you're you're gonna strangle yourself. <laughs> like yeah, I, no. I don't even you wear don't. a harness. Is, don't, don't tell my wife, but I don't even wear a harness right now. I wear a modified like safety like just a belt thing that I made with a carabiner because it weighs nothing. And it's just really, you know, like, sure. Oh, so she just texted me. She heard that. So <laughs> yes, I, I wear, a, I even wear a helmet sometimes. No, I'm just, uh, so, it's got so, antlers on it and everything. Great. Yeah. Decoy. Right. Right. <laughs> no, no, the yeah, no, a, a saddle. If you can wear, if you can wear a safety harness, you can wear a saddle. Like that's, that's as easy as it is, but no, I was just giving you shit for that um yeah i definitely agree like those i mean those bucks will pick you out and be gone in a heartbeat like that's why your entry and exit routes are so important um and just understanding how much you can push the envelope and a lot of that comes down to failure right i mean yeah. just like I, I i moved 50 yards and i bumped them next year i can only move 30 yards you know or maybe even this year i can try it again and that's one of the hardest things about hunting is you know, early season, especially if your season starts October 1st, like you pretty much get two weeks to try out your early season plans or two weekends, and then you're into pre-rut, you know, 
And with Wisconsin, you know, we start September 12th this year, which is really nice. So we get, you know, four or five weekends for early season hunting. Um, but then we're off and running too. I a hundred percent love acorns. Like that is by far my favorite food source. I like them more than beans. Um, mm -hmm. just because like you said, they're just natural regardless of what happens, like planting a food plot or whatever, like they're there and the deer just, they've eaten them for hundreds of years and they're going to continue eating them. They haven't eaten, you know, white, white tail Institute brassicas, ever, you know, for hundreds of years. Like that's just not that I, not that I'm ragging on white tail Institute. I don't, I, I haven't even planted my first food plot ever trying to. I'm sure they're great people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, you know, I agree with that. Um, beans, it's always seems like they turn yellow right away. Like right when season starts, they turn yellow. So I feel like one of the things that I always look at is like, okay, cool. You're doing this drive scouting and you're doing this trail cameras on beans and you're seeing deer hit them. And then that data is good for maybe a week, you know, once season starts. And if your season starts in October, like it's not even good anymore because those are already yellow and the deer are like out of there. And then they're into acorns. Like, so I just like to target acorns, like just right away, like, and just and focus on them. And if I can find them or if I can find apple trees, like secluded apple trees, man, I will sit on those every single day. I've had such good luck on apple trees in, in my yeah. life. No, it's a good call. Absolutely. Yeah. I got to plant of, some. There's a lot of different things that, that they'll eat, you know, for short periods of time. And that'd probably be one area that I, I, I need to grow a little bit better into is just actual identifying that I typically just, I mean, I haven't needed to, um, you know, just the other strategies, I guess, or formulas work enough where it, but there's definitely stuff. I mean, I've observed it, you know, it's like, why are they eating that, you know, this weekend? And it's like, I don't know what that is. You know, they're bypassing <laughs> what you thought they were going to eat. They're eating this. And, you know, so right. that, that happens, you know, that happens a lot. Um, you know, but again, what, what typically never changes without pressure is when they they'll move the way they naturally are wired to move from those within those funnels and things like that and you know just back to that early season north edge of that property set yeah. there's a one thing i haven't shared with you yet is there there are two like i'll call them like flooded not beaver ponds but they're actually just big depressions kind of in these in this hardwoods going towards the swamp they look like ponds in the woods, but they're not. They're natural, just they're big. They're significant enough. And they got these little ridges like around them running from the north too. And they come together. A deer, if, it, if it's moving in any way, northwest or north to the south, which all the acorns are kind of behind me where I set that stand, if you will, they don't have, they have to come, they're gonna come through within bull range. Yeah. So if, it, if a deer's coming in daylight hours through that funnel, I'm going to be able to kill it for sure. So there were many good trees along the edge. Absolutely. But this tree was specifically chosen with a rangefinder zapping and saying, this is, you know, this is the best spot, you know, and they're not going to walk through five feet of stagnant water when they can just walk on a nice little hard, you know, yeah. hard dry ground ridge. And they, absolutely will come right to basically right to the tree on the side so <clears throat> that's another another way when you're trying to really break it down um 
I don't yeah. know if either of those water sources are ones that deer will hit in September, but potentially one of them is. And that, then, then that stand is going to be twice as valuable. Yeah. Right. So there, it, the, <coughs> excuse me. Smokers the south, the, Well, <laughs> it, it, hey, it's, it's not that virus thing either. I, I, I stayed four, <laughs> four nights in a house with a cat in Montana. I'm oh, severely geez. allergic to cats. So. Oh, I'm really? Oh, yeah, man, that sucks. That. Yeah, I'm all puffy and everything. But <coughs> it was worth it. I'll tell you what. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but it's so the south halves of both of those water holes, and they're pretty big water holes, are shootable from that tree. So even if something came and kind of, you know, walked down the bank to, to take a drink, it's yeah. like a 35 yard shot either way. Right. So okay. that was all intentional. It's a, it's a killing yeah. tree by, by far. I mean, it's, it's, it is, you know, so again, there was a whole half mile of Northern property line or like of this ridge too. Right. And that, that's by far the best spot. So, you know, see, hopefully after a, a sit or two, you know, I'll be able to, you know, at least send you a little message, show you how it yeah. works, you know, or just, even if I just see something, but for sure. I, I want to talk about funnels so bad, but I, that's like going to be a big topic in the rut and pre-rut because that's pretty much like what you're on. Yeah. Um, but just to like highlight those, you know, those are like micro funnels, right? Mm -hmm. They're not yeah. those big blocks of timber that narrow down and look like an hourglass and then get big again between, you know, ag fields. It's not that big, but those micro funnels are massive too, because if you can find anything that forces deer to go one way or the other, early season, mid season, late season, it doesn't matter. Like they're going to make that travel route. And those ponds are exactly that, you know, they, they yeah. just push deer another way. It could be a railroad track. It could be a road. It could be a four wheel trail. It could just be like a thick wall of brush that they just don't want to walk through, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and that's one of the things on my property that I realized this year is the deer don't, they, I was getting abnormally, I've hunted public land a lot over the last four or five years and not a whole lot of private. So I set up a few trail cameras on four wheel trails when we bought this piece and I wasn't expecting a whole lot. I was expecting a lot of nighttime movement on these four wheel trails. I got a lot of daytime movement and I couldn't figure out why the reason why once all the leaves fell down and I could actually take a look is because the paths off the four wheel trail were really rocky, bouldery. Some of them were like actual like five, 10, 20 foot cliffs that they mm -hmm. couldn't get up. And others were just thick walls of nasty crap that mm -hmm. not even deer want to walk through. That's perfect rabbit bunny territory, but, but nothing else wants to live there. Bunnies and coons, possums. Um, so they will follow that trail, the path of least resistance to get to where they want to go. So long as they feel safe. Now, my dad has come through with the mower and has started trying, trying to widen up that trail. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like we don't, we don't want that trail to be wider. Like it's as wide as we need it to be. Cause at a certain point, the deer are going to be like, all right, I don't feel uns, I don't feel safe anymore because it's too open. I'm going to start trying to find a different route to get to where I need to go or something. So um, that is definitely something that, um, that I, that I've 
I don't know. I lost my train of thought. I don't know. I was just talking about the four wheel trails and trail. Well, camera. no, no, the your the funnels, yeah, the funnels. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I was thinking about talking about thick stuff, rocks, boulders. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, those funnels make a lot of sense and they work well, just as well early season as they do mid season, late season. Like deer just follow natural topography too. Like you were talking elevation for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. Um, the other thing that you mentioned and I forgot it cause I'm just losing track. Um, but, um, those killing trees, you mentioned a killing tree. Um, I think that is something a lot of people overlook. I've touched on a couple times, but once you find a, a good spot early season and you're getting action early season, maybe mid season, maybe late season, that'll probably be good year over year. And, uh, and that's when one of that's, those are the spots really specifically that you only go in on the perfect wind. Once you figure out where those are, you wait for the right wind and you go in cause you know, it's good. You know, it's going to be good. And Matt, you know, just from experience that like, man, I got a premium funnel. I got a water source. I got a food source. I'm in an unpressured area. Like this spot's going to be dynamite. I I'm not even questioning coming in here on, on any sort of anything, but a perfect wind. Mm-hmm. So and you'll learn that every, anybody listening, you'll learn that over time and on and experience and understanding what that looks like. Um, and I've hunted just over 20 properties um, in the last, I don't know, how old am I? 17 years. Um, and I'm really, I'm just starting to be able to get that capability where I can look at a spot and just go, yeah, this is going to be good during this time frame because this is, you know, they're going to be going to a bean field over here. They're probably betting over here. And here's a nice little funnel that they'll probably route through and I can catch them here. Like it's just, it, and like you said, at the very beginning of the podcast, at that point, it becomes a game of a game of luck. Like I know I'm in the right spot. They just need to make the mistake. Like, and that's just, and that's just how, how it works out. I think I, I tried for the longest time to find like perfect setups where regardless of when I go in there, I'm going to kill. Um, and that just isn't the case. Um, I was trying to find that, that silver bullet and I just, I realized, uh, through many, many failures, (laughs) it just doesn't exist. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you, even if you think about those, you know, massive private chunks in, in Southern Iowa or wherever, I mean, even there, you know, it's not always a guarantee, but you know, I've been on a few of those places, even a few in Buffalo County, not necessarily hunting been privileged to be on some of that stuff and you know even in those situations you still don't have that magic bullet or that you know always a guarantee when we're talking bull right i mean Mm -hmm. you you throw that 30 odd six on your shoulder that kind of i mean that's that's different if you as long as you shoot you know (laughs) on, on a lot of those places but you know even in those again those massive massive pieces of acreage that are perfect and they're managed for trophy whitetail. I mean, to the nth degree, um, it's still, when you're talking about bowl range and those best deer, they don't always get killed. I mean, you see, you see the highlights often on, on the clip, in the clips and on the videos and on the Instagrams and stuff, but you, you maybe not see the other five beautiful deer that live there and they can't kill and all those kinds of things. So, <laughs> nothing right. against those people, I'm just jealous. But, no, no, um, no. Yeah, no. You know, Failure, but, the failures don't make Instagram because <laughs> they they just they don't have anything to show. Here is my deer that I did not kill. 
<laughs> I put one failure on there one time, but only 12 feet. You know, I have my 12 followers <laughs> didn't really, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Actually, some people knew what I knew, knew what I did. It was a new property and I would have shot it. Oh, I don't even want to get into it now. It breaks my heart. Oh, no, I mean, I posted my, I posted my failures. Like, I mean, I filmed that that non-typical 160 inch at 40 yards and then walking into 30 and I couldn't, I couldn't get the shot at them. And I just, I, I sat a new spot and I didn't trim the branches. I just didn't, I had no idea where he was going to come from. He just came from a really odd spot, but I know this year. <laughs> back, back to killing trees. Mm, Make yeah. sure you can shoot. Yeah. I can't tell you how many people set stands and they just don't, they don't account for the potential and that give themselves enough room to shoot. I will trade shootability in a, in a micro funnel that I know, I know will funnel deer for cover. Like I'm not looking up saying, where can I be hidden the most? I'm literally, I'm saying, where can I shoot the most degrees around the circle? Sure. And that, as a matter of fact, me, me and the, my buddy that went in on, and where we, when we set that stand on that North property, that new property, we had that conversation because there were a couple options kind of in there and, you know, kind of he aired on the side of, well, that's too open. And I'm like, absolutely not. You know, it's a big hardwood, thick tree trunk. You can stand perfect, but I, you, you need to be able to shoot, you know, at least, you know, a little over 180 degrees um, out of that stand. In fact, if something were to sneak from the Southwest, which could happen there easily, um, and still get a crack at it, then that tree is literally, it's set up for that too. Um, you know, so you almost have 270 degrees that a guy yep. can shoot. So, you know, again, killing tree means more than just the right spot. You, you gotta be able to shoot. Yeah. I, and yeah. I've learned that the hard way, like many times, a lot of failures, <laughs> seriously. Yep. You know, driving all night, going down to Illinois or going down to Missouri, you know, and just, going in the dark and thinking I was, you know, and find, you know, it gets light and I got one lane and it's, it's, it's that big. It's like, it looked good in the dark, you know, and then right. you got oh, to sit up there and watch deer go through that you can't kill or else you get down and start over. So, um, you know, I learned, learned the hard way and I'd, ra I'd always rather take shooting and open than, you know, cause again, it's, I'm not there to observe them. I'm there to kill them when it's right when I got the my hand yeah if i'm in a spot where i can't kill him why the hell am i here <laughs> another way of saying yeah. that i guess i'm, I'm yeah. tired, so i rambled but <laughs> <laughs> no no worries and that's that's you know and that's even harder early season because there's just so much foliage than there yep. is you know and just getting into those pieces and understand that that comes into play too when you're picking spots especially on public in wisconsin you're not it's illegal to trim um you know you got to find spots that are that are open and it's just, it's hard, but it makes it, um, it makes it challenging and you need to just understand when you can sit where and when something's likely like deer are likely to use an area in early season. And if it's open, I can sit here. If it's too thick, I can't, but I could get in here in November and I'll probably be able to slot an arrow through there. You know, it just, it is what it is and you just got to figure it out. Um, but, uh, all right, man. We've been on here for long enough. I'm sure people are bored of us <laughs> and we could keep going for forever. But uh, once again, tell, tell people where, where they could find you, assuming they like your content and don't think you're full of shit. 
<laughs> hey man, I'll, uh, any day we'll just anyone doubts it. Let's just go one on one. A new property, they can pick the property. I don't care. <laughs> I, w- I wish there was something like that. To be honest, I'd love to to go. Uh, you know, just go hunt. Where, oh, dude, the man. the hunting public kind of started it. Um, it, they they have the the public land challenge. Right? Okay. Have you seen that at all, or no? No, I'll check those guys out a little bit more though. Sure. Yeah, the hunting they had the public land challenge where they they grab a few different guys, and it's generally I don't think you're gonna make the cut because it's generally like social media guys, and they'll just go to a piece of public in a random state that none of them have ever been to, and um, they'll pick a campsite, and you gotta you gotta hunt from that campsite. You can hunt anywhere in the state, but you gotta hunt from that campsite, and you can't hunt a piece that you've hunted previously. So you just go and they, they all set up for, I think it's a week and they just go hunt. And the last couple of years, they've had like five, six guys do it. And only one guy has each year has killed, but they've killed a decent buck. Um, It's pretty, yeah, it's pretty interesting. It's fun. It's fun. I, I enjoy watching it every year. Yeah. They don't want me there because they'll kill everything and it won't be fun anymore. (laughs) <laughs> right no, um, no just my normal instagram just matt spets uh s-p-e-t-s okay. and you know a lot of fly fishing stuff right now but getting ramped up and ready for deer season and um yeah just uh all right nice well awesome thanks for having you on thanks for coming on man appreciate it it's, it's a late night i know that and um for anybody listening if you guys like this you know obviously please subscribe find Matt, follow Matt, find me on Instagram, Facebook, follow me as well. And then also, if you would uh, leave a review on the podcast, reviews really help. Um, They help boost your, like your ranking and help people find you easier. And then also, if you would, you know, you guys find this interesting, you find the whole topic, everything about it. You got friends who want to learn a lot about early season hunting, rut, whatever, Um, share it with them, tell them about it. Uh, I would really appreciate that. And, uh, and, the overall objective of everybody I have on this podcast is to help people get better. It's not to grow ourselves while that is part of the process, but the general, the general consensus of everybody on here is to just help people get better and help hunters be more successful because the overall end goal is the more hunters are successful, the more people are going to stay in hunting, the more opportunity we're all going to get, the louder our voices and the less that people can take away from us like Canada banning grizzly bear hunting. Like we just don't want any of that around here. And if you think it's impossible, it, it's not, it is very possible. And like they're releasing all the wolves in Colorado. Now that's just something that's going to affect mule deer hunters and elk hunters, sheep hunters. It's going to affect everybody. So um, anyway, that's the overall objective of this. Um, really appreciate you guys tuning in and uh, catch you next time. <laughs>